Welcome to Sustainable Business Friday. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA student and sustainability professional, Alistair Hall, and we're speaking with Kevin Rabinovich, Global Sustainability Director at Mars, Inc. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. So I'm in the final year of the Bard MBA program, and I've been working in the sustainability field for five, six years now, working in the higher ed space. But maybe just by way of introduction, maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit more about yourself. And uh, you've been at Mars for you know over 23 years. So how, um, yeah, what's your what's your experience at Mars has been like? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, and, uh, and good morning to you as well. So. Um, yeah, so I've been at Mars for, for 23 years, the, the first 13 of that in uh, research and development. So I, I started my career as a chocolate engineer. Um, but then uh, 10 years ago, um, Mars, uh, the family, the Mars family, as well as the sort of Mars leadership team made a, a conscious decision to get more organized and structured about our work in sustainability. Um, and uh, I, uh, I had some, some knowledge in the field, so uh, was asked to help pull together the program. And then uh, 10 years later, uh, here we are. Well, and so were you involved in the founding of the sustainability program or? Yes, yeah, so, so myself and, uh, and another individual had the, uh, the first two uh, full-time sustainability jobs. And our, uh, our first objective was basically uh, figure out what your job should be. <laughs> And uh, what was that experience like? Uh, how did you come up with what your job should be? Yeah, it was um, it was very interesting, <laughs> as you can imagine. So, um, you know, I think what what happened was there was a so this would be back in two thousand and seven. There was a, a sense um, that uh, you know there there was this thing called sustainability that was was getting organized sort of out in the wider world. Um, and that there were some issues that uh, we maybe needed to think more carefully about as a business than than business traditionally had. Um, and, uh, you know, we so we myself and my colleagues started researching and talking to people and going to conferences and learning and, and really just sort of absorbing everything we we could on the topic. Um, and uh, and, you know, some of the, the original principles that, that we developed probably in those first six to nine months are still really at the the core of uh, of our sustainability program. Um, you know, so those would be things like being uh, driven by by the science and and the data, um, and and really focusing on uh, you know what is right. Uh, you know, not just what what sounds good. So, and who was um, or how did this uh, all come about? You know, two thousand seven was this from you know Mars leadership or where where did this uh, drive come from? Yeah, I think it was a it was a combination of you know Mars leadership as well as uh, as the Mars family. So as, as a as a privately owned mm-hmm. um, business owned owned by the Mars family, they they have uh, you know quite a significant influence on the sort of very top level strategic direction of, of the business. And, you know, Mars has always 
uh, you know, been run um, on on principles. Uh, and since the mid 1970s, actual specific documented principles, the, the five principles we call them. And you know, there was a feeling that um, that there were there were perhaps issues and impacts uh, that that our business was causing or, or was involved with that that we maybe weren't thinking about or, or weren't addressing enough. But it was more of a sense of an issue as opposed to there is a very specific problem we need to go solve. Um, so hence the the somewhat vague um, initial objective mm-hmm. <laughs> of basically saying you know we're we're we feel like we need a sustainability program, but we're not entirely certain what that means. So can you go can you go you know define this sort of ill-defined sense? Of, of needing to do something. Um, and, and that's when we started to come back and, and started to talk about what specific issues, greenhouse gases, water, waste, um, things like that we needed to deal with. And then started to talk about differences between our own operations, so our, our 140 factories and several hundred offices around the world, and then our extended supply chain, the raw materials, the packaging, the transport, um, and, and starting to, to take what was a sort of vague, fuzzy idea and, and start to, you know, systematize it a little bit and break it down into pieces and, and say, okay, we're going to work on this and then we're going to work on this and, and you know, build a, build a structured program out of it. That's really great. And so 10 years on now, could you walk us through how the program has evolved or how it's grown? Absolutely. So uh, just... Two or three weeks ago now, uh, we launched publicly our uh, sustainable and generation plan, um, which is a it is a really detailed set of um, not just commitments but also strategies and a plan for for delivering against those commitments that speaks to um, our work in environment uh, and social and um, uh, health and nutrition uh, innovation and you know. That really is sort of the the narrative capstone on on that last decade of work, which started with you know myself and one other individual, and you know now there's probably 25 people working more or less full time on this, and then you know hundreds or thousands of people working you know as a part of their job inside of Mars um, on this. So you know we've got science-based targets for our greenhouse gas emissions uh, in, in line with climate science covering our entire value chain. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a, a target on the total amount of land that, that our value chain will use, which is a, to our knowledge, a, a sort of first in the corporate world um, to, to have a metric on, on trying to sort of freeze the footprint of, of, our, of our supply chain. And the part of the rationale behind that is that one of the things that drives deforestation and, and, you know, loss of other natural ecosystems is the ever expanding footprint of agriculture. So if we, if we find ways to grow our business, which we, we want to do, we want to be successful, but if we find ways to grow our business without growing that footprint, then we, we do something important to help, um, you know, preserve natural ecosystems. It's not the only thing required to make that happen, but it's an important step. And then we also have a target on um, ultimately uh, eliminating uh, water use in excess of sustainable levels in, in stressed watersheds. And, you know, throughout all of that, you know, there's, there's a, as you, as you sort of dig deeper into them, there's, there's a very strong thread of 
understand the science first. Forget about feasibility. Forget about what you know how to do. Forget about practicality. Understand what would be right. So what does the science say is necessary? You know, chisel that onto a, a tablet, put it up on the wall, and then, you know, build your strategies to get there. Um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, um, and you see this with, with not only corporates, but national governments, people start with the feasibility and, and they get as far as they can with what they think is feasible. And then they sort of talk themselves into why that's the right target. Um, and, and our view is that that's not the right way to do it. Um, you know, the, the, the climate atmospheric physics don't really care what we happen to think today is economically viable and feasible. Um, so the, the burden is really on us to solve the problem, not to shift the target, but to, to shift our understanding or, or idea of what is, what is possible. That's a really great point. The idea that, um, you know, the atmosphere uh, and physics doesn't care about, you know, our personal opinions. Uh, it sounds like there, you know, sustainability has really been fairly deeply rooted in Mars's uh, ethic and approach uh, approach to these issues. Uh, was there, you know, was there a long buy-in process to get the sustainability in a generation plan adopted or? Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so we've had, uh, so in, in 2009, so just sort of two years into the start of all this, um, we had developed targets for our direct operations. Um, so for, for those that, that live in the, the carbon accounting world, what would be considered scope one and two emissions. So again, those, those factories and offices I talked about. And, and we had targets for that uh, based on science. So, so we got to those quite quickly. What enabled us to, to do that so quickly was we had really good data about our own operations. You know, we, we knew exactly how many kilowatt hours of electricity we were using. We, we knew how many tons of waste were going to landfill. So we had, we had good data. And the other thing we had was we, we already understood most of the sorts of strategies that we would need to deliver on, on science-based targets. So we understood energy efficiency. We, we understood you know, how to, how to save water. We understood that there were alternatives to sending things to landfill. We hadn't necessarily executed on all those opportunities, but we understood them sort of in, in concept. The one strategy that we had to add to our mix was renewable energy, which we didn't have a lot of experience with, but we, we did enough thinking and work that we convinced ourselves we could, we could figure it out. So, so we signed up for the targets. It took us another eight years <laughs> to, to get to the point of being able to make a public commitment on full value chain. So this is now going beyond those factories and offices to everything from, from farm to, you know, to the, to the consumer enjoying our products for a couple of reasons. One, there was a lot of data that we didn't have in 2009 uh, about the supply chain. Some of it was even where some of our raw materials came from. And even once you'd worked out exactly where everything was coming from, you then have to convert all of that into impacts. So fine, I, I know my, you know, I know I'm buying however many tons of, of wheat from Russia. Well, what's the carbon footprint of that wheat? How much land does it use? Is it irrigated or is it just rain fed? So, so there was a lot of work to really understand the impacts of our supply chain. And then we had to start developing strategies or, or at the very least sort of strategic frameworks for how we would go about tackling some of those impacts. And then we had to build a business case on the back of all that, 
so so that's really what what that intervening you know gap was was understanding our supply chain understanding the impacts building the strategies building the business case and frankly in some cases along the way we actually had to work with academic and ngo and and other corporate partners to develop some of the methodologies because some of the things that we wanted to understand there there wasn't really an agreed way of how to understand them mm-hmm. um so so it was a you know it was a you know, very, very comprehensive exercise. And, you know, in some ways, the fact that there it's the sustainable generation plan and not the sustainable generation targets, you know, the difference between targets and plan, there, there's quite a lot embodied in, in that word choice, right? So, you know, a plan for us means that not only is there a target, but there is a plan for how to get to the target. Uh, you know, part of our, our launch was we, we talked about that we were going to commit to spend, um, you know, about a billion dollars over the next three years on getting these transformations started in our supply chain that, that we'll, we'll need to make to get to these impact reductions. Um, so it, it did take a long time. I, mean, well, I don't know if you count eight years as long or not, but, um, you know, but not because people, not because there was opposition to it. You know, this, this is really core to, to how we want to run our business going forward. And, and that level of integration, you know, in an organization of 100,000 people, you know, that, that takes some time. Right. Um, and frankly, there, there's, there's more of that to happen. You know, we're not, you know, not every person is exactly clear what they need to deliver these targets, but our senior leaders, um, the management team, our segment presidents, the Mars family, and, and a lot of other people are clear uh, where we're going and what comes next. I understood as part of the uh, sustainability and the generation plan, there's the you adopted the planetary boundaries framework. Yes. And so is that part of, you know, this evolution of, you know, figuring out the science and, you know, what are the, yeah, what are the methodologies out there for understanding are the world that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. So so uh planetary boundaries was was I mean, really at the start of our journey, probably the two most influential pieces of external science were um so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, published their fourth assessment review in 2007. And and so we we looked at the IPCC and said, great, you know, we know greenhouse gas emissions are something that is going to be important for us to think about. And now we've got a good science reference. And then Planetary Boundaries was published and we went, ah, now we've got something we can look at that gives us some guidance, not just on greenhouse gas emissions, but on some of the other issues, um, you know, in terms of, of environmental limits that uh, that are important. And, you know, the idea behind Planetary Boundaries, the, the other the other headline for the, or the subhead for that, that original paper was a safe operating space for humanity. Um, and and that concept spoke to us. That that made a lot of sense to us uh, in the sense of, um, you know, there is a there is a certain amount of resource we can pull from the natural world, or a certain amount of damage we can do to the natural world, which the natural world can absorb and buffer and and deal with. And and that's that idea of a safe operating space. And and if you get outside of that, if you if you pull more. From, from the natural world or you do more damage to the natural world than, than those limits, then you start to experience some, some pretty unpleasant consequences and, and unpleasant in multiple dimensions. You know, they're unpleasant for, for millions or billions of people, which of course is sort of a moral issue. They're also, you know, 
being sort of very narrow-minded, they're also unpleasant for our business, right? You know, so so as as climate change disrupts um, uh, ecosystems and, and weather patterns, that affects agriculture. Agriculture is where we get our raw materials. So that means our business is disrupted. So so you get sort of negative consequences all the way from sort of the moral to the purely financial and, and everything in between. Um, so that, that really sort of shaped our thinking. And then, of course, there's a lot of detailed work that has to go on to, to translate, you know, some of those uh, ideas in IPCC or, or planetary boundaries into, okay, so what should the target for, you know, a company that makes, you know, chocolate and chewing gum and pet food and rice, um, you know, what does that mean for us? Uh, and, and, you know, what's, what's our responsibility? What's our share? Um, you know, and, and so that, that was a, that was a, a bit of work to, mm-hmm. uh, to think all that through, but that, that idea of, uh, of what are the limits we need to operate with? And again, goes back to this idea of, of, you know, the atmosphere doesn't care what we think, you know, there, there are real bio geophysical issues that we're, we're trying to deal with here. And, you know, we, we sort of need to recognize and, and deal with those because we don't, we don't really have an option because they, they are the real world. Um, you know, so, so if, if there are things we want to accomplish, like achieving a certain rate of growth in our sales, then we need to figure out how to do that within those limits. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And so is there a planetary boundary that you feel Mars is making the most progress on? Well, I think the area where we've, we've made the most progress to date would, would have to be greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's probably because, one, the, the, measurement and, uh, the, the measurement and the target have been clearer for longer. Um, and certainly on our direct operations, again, that, that factories and offices. So, you know, in 2009, we, we announced um, our first set of targets, which was that for those direct operations coming from 2007, we would deliver um, a 25% reduction by 2015 on the way to a 100% reduction by 2040. So basically, straight line from 2007 down to, to 2040. And, and we hit that 2015 target. Um, of being 25% below. I, I believe our number for 2016 was just under 29%. And so, so for by 2020, we will be 40% below where we were in 2007. And, and that's a combination of um, our energy efficiency work and our work on renewable energy. Uh, and, and maybe to talk a little bit more about the renewable energy, this for me and for us, I think is really highlights the the power of these science-based targets and, and this sort of planetary boundary approach is in developing the targets for, for our direct operations. If we had started with a discussion of feasibility and said, well, we'll set our target based on on what we think is feasible, you know, and maybe maybe we'll we'll say if we know how to do 10, we'll commit to 12 to, to stretch ourselves a little bit. If that had been our commitment, we, if that had been our approach, rather, we would not have made the sort of commitments that I just talked about in terms of targets. Um, the commitments would have been much smaller because we cannot get to the sort of targets that, that we committed to without large-scale work in renewable energy. 
but we'd never done large-scale work in renewable energy, so it wouldn't have been a strategy that we considered feasible. Um, but because we had this 25% by, by 2015 and then 100% by 2040, you know, you look at that and you go, well, clearly we're never going to run our business without energy. So we're going to have to figure out how to get greenhouse gas free energy into, into our, our factory energy supply. And that starts you down the path of thinking about renewable energy and not just a little bit of renewable energy. We ultimately need to get all of our energy from renewable energy. And, and so that pushed us into innovation and creativity and thinking that starting with feasibility, we never would have gone down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then consequently, of course, we never would have hit that 25% target and we wouldn't you know, be on track to hit the 40% target for 2020. And so, so that's really sort of the, the power of that approach, we think, um, is not only do you do more good for the world and, and actually have a chance of solving the problems at the scale that you need to be solved at, but it also drives uh, a level of innovation and creativity that, that you might not otherwise achieve. That's great. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. And so by extension, um, over your time at Mars, is there you know, a program or initiative, big or small, that you, that you yourself are most proud of? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I already told the story, but, but really the renewable energy mm-hmm. would probably yeah. be, the, would be the, the biggest one. Because what, what happened is um, when in 2009, when, when we were working internally, well, 2008, really, when we were working internally with, with um, our manufacturing uh, organization to, to develop and, and sign up for these targets. They sort of looked over the strategies and they said, yeah, you know, this efficiency stuff, we understand what that is. And, and, you know, we kind of understand, you know, what it would take for us to do more of it. There's some new technology. We get that. We're going to work with R&D and invent some new processes that are more efficient. But then there's this whole bucket of renewable energy. And we don't, we don't really know what that is. And, and, you know, we're, we're not energy engineers, we're chocolate engineers, or pet food engineers. Um, can you guys in the corporate team take on the renewable energy task? Um, and, uh, and we said, yes. So, so we actually run our renewable energy program out of our, uh, out of our corporate team. Um, so, you know, most of my job is corporate strategy and, and policy and sort of the big picture and, and helping set direction. And then, helping the people in the business units who are then trying to implement and, and deliver against this work. But in renewable energy, um, you know, I and, and, a, and a small team of, of others are actually responsible for, for executing the program. Um, you know, and, and we've done, um, at this point, we've now done national scale projects. And, and by that, I mean projects that cover 100% of our electricity use in the US, the UK, and Mexico. Um, we will sign two more countries worth of contracts uh, by the end of the year. Um, and then adding that to our procurement of renewable from, from sort of a standard utility, uh, in, in 2018, we'll have 100% renewable electricity in 11 countries around the world. So looking ahead, as we, you know, the sustainability and generation plan gets rolled out, what do you think is one of the biggest issues or opportunities that Mars looks to make some progress on? Yeah, so I think as we, um, you know, as we've, as we've built out the targets and the thinking behind the targets for, for our extended supply chain, um, you know, for any, any food business, 
the the majority of our our impacts happen in agriculture in our raw material production um so you know as as great as our work on on factories is you know our, our factories represent six percent of our carbon footprint used to be eight percent now it's down to six percent um you know because of the progress we've made so far but either way it's it's still a, a skinny wedge in the overall pie agriculture is almost three quarters so uh so that that's where we really need to turn our attention and and of that three quarters greenhouse gas emissions from land use change or deforestation basically is is a really big part of that three quarters so uh so i think it's 29 percent of our entire greenhouse gas emissions across our entire value chain is associated with land use change deforestation so that's a that's obviously a huge area where where we can make a a really big difference because those those issues are concentrated in a relatively small list of raw materials in 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 a relatively small uh, number of places around the world. So this idea of doing greenhouse gas accounting for deforestation land use change is uh, somewhat new to the corporate world. So so we're helping uh, kind of drive and introduce that and and sort of arguing that there's a there's a real value in bringing that into the the discussion about deforestation. So there there is a lot of discussion about deforestation and, and zero deforestation and lots of commitments. But we really think that that you know, not having that greenhouse gas accounting be part of that is uh, is a missed opportunity um, because we think it gives us a way to quantify and drive action that that's lacking in the space. Um, that coupled with this, uh, you know, hectares of land being occupied, uh, you know, for, for your supply chain, we think those two pieces, the greenhouse gas accounting and, and the, you know, holding your land use flat really add a lot to, to the effectiveness of a of a, a strategy and approach for tackling deforestation, so we're we're hoping to 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 drive more successful outcomes with that, and um, you know we're hoping to to have others join us in in that way of thinking. Yeah, I just have one quick question for you, Kevin, and it's for um, Alistair and me and co our colleagues in this program and um, future sustainability leaders. And I'm wondering, knowing what you know now after all of this time with Mars, if you have advice for people like us that are looking to enter this field and work in really changing companies that big or small and making change for the world, if you have advice for us. What I would encourage people to do is if you, if you want to transform an organization, be it a, a business, an NGO, government, whatever, you need to have an understanding of how it works today. You know, there, you know, personally, I think going into the future, there, the number of full-time dedicated sustainability roles will always be pretty limited, um, you know, in the sense of being a pure sustainability expert. Um, you know, I think much more valuable to organizations and, and ultimately much more valuable to, to sort of this whole effort is someone who is you know really good at marketing and understands how to market a more sustainable product in a way that gets people to buy it you know someone that's really good at finance and accounting and and can figure out how to finance and and get a long-term renewable energy contract set up in such a way that it doesn't consolidate on balance sheet 
of the organization that signed the contract. You know, so, so that having that sort of what is the core skill, uh, you know, beyond sustainability. So, so be the best sustainability sales manager, be the best sustainability, you know, personnel manager, marketing, whatever, uh, because that's really how, how you, you drive change is not sort of, you know, hammering away at people and saying, you know, you need to care about carbon footprint. You need to worry about human rights. You need to worry about whatever. But, but being able to say, you know, I know what you do and, you know, I think I can help you do a better job of it by delivering, you know, on these sustainability objectives or coming at it through a sustainability lens, you know, because otherwise it's just dumping things onto people's plates um, as opposed to helping them clear the plate full of stuff that they've already got to deal with. Great. So I know we're coming up on our time. Is there any final thoughts or anything you want to add or elaborate on? I mean, I guess maybe the, the only thing I would add is, um, so, you know, we've talked about this billion dollars to, uh, you know, to, to, to transform our supply chains. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, that actually undercalls what we're spending. Um, so as an example, I, I talked about that we're, you know, we're, we're already buying 100% renewable electricity in a number of countries, and that in 2018, it'll be 11 countries. So the money that we spend on that electricity is not part of the billion. Mm-hmm. The, the billion is just the, the investments to make transformation. But really, where, where we're heading is, you know, we want every part of our supply chain to be operating in, in a sustainable fashion. Um, so we really want every dollar that we spend on a raw material, on transport, on packaging, whatever, to, to be money that is supporting a, a renewable, sorry, a sustainable, um, you know, operating model or, or, or supply chain or way of working. And, and as we start to transition into that, now we're talking about tens of billions every year. Um, that's being spent on on sustainable supply chains. So the the billion is, is important. It's great. It's a big number, but it it it's really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and and that's the transformation, not the sort of ongoing support of uh, sustainable energy supply or farming or transport. Uh, so that that's really where we're we're headed, and we're already a few steps down that road. You can learn more about Mars and their sustainable intergeneration plan by visiting mars.com. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays, where we'll be speaking with Rebecca Hamilton, Vice President of Research and Development and Quality Assurance at the W.S. Badger Company. Bard MBA and Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu. Thank you.